0: This is the Made It in Music Podcast. I'm Seth Mosley, and this is Show 160. Welcome to the podcast, where we bring you tools and resources to help you go full time in music and to stay in. The music business is a roller coaster ride, changing faster than any of us can pay attention to. We all need a competitive edge to stay ahead and to stay successful. What's working, what isn't, and what's coming? That's exactly what this show is all about. Back again with Full Circle Music, the Made It in Music podcast. What's up? This is Seth Mosley on the Made It in Music podcast, and I'm here today with Martha Earls. Martha is the manager for country star Kane Brown, so you're not going to want to miss this one. Listen all the way to the end. It's going to be a great, great conversation. But before we jump in, uh just wanted to remind you of a great resource that Full Circle Music has, and that is our Facebook group. This is a great place to hang out with like-minded people, share and get feedback on your songs, and to be a part of an awesome community of musicians. So if you haven't already joined, now's the time. Head over to fullcirclemusic.com slash group to join in on the fun. That's fullcirclemusic.com slash group. All right. Martha Earls, thanks for being on the Made It Music podcast.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. Um, it's you know nashville's a a small town we were virtually i guess neighbors for seven years and this is the first time we're officially meeting with you know coronavirus going on we're meeting virtually on zoom
1: i know i'm sorry we're in my spare bedroom slash office it's crazy
0: (laughs) hey this is this is the season this is the season so um would love to just jump back into your story a little bit what led you to wanting to pursue a career in the music industry
1: um that's a great question. I I grew up in a small town in central Pennsylvania and I um I didn't really know anything about the music industry um honestly uh I had two I was good at two things. I was good at playing the piano and I was good at sports at specifically track and field. Um and I ended up getting a college scholarship uh playing the piano, so that's what I did. And I went to school and I I didn't know, how do you make money in the music industry? I had no idea. And while, and fun little fact, the only thing I could come up with was um, playing the pipe organ. I was a pipe organ major because I thought, oh, those people only work two days a week, Wednesdays and Sundays. and They make good money, so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a pipe <laughs> organ major.
0: <laughs> I love
1: that. 17-year-old pipe organ major. Anyways, that only lasted a semester, as you can imagine. Um, and while I was at school in New Jersey, I... Um, one it's one of the other students she mentioned she was going to go um after her graduation she was going to become an attorney she's going to go to law school and become a music business attorney and so I, th- I said wait a second, that's something that you can actually do work in the music industry and she said yeah nope yeah you can and i and so that piqued my interest so i started researching online and um i discovered belmont and mtsu and their music industry programs and i had a passion for country music. I grew up in central Pennsylvania. It's a very small town. And I came to Tennessee and I visited MTSU in Belmont. I just fell in love with MTSU and it was a college environment. And I went to school there and that is majored in music business. And that's how I got started.
0: That's awesome. So you just packed up your pipe organ and moved to Nashville.
1: You know, I have not played (laughs) the pipe organ since I was 18 years old. I quickly, quickly departed that. Do not miss it at all.
0: Yeah, that that's kind of a hard one to practice.
1: It is. It's kind of a hard one to be cool.
0: It is. <laughs> hey, I love pipe organ, though. Like, believe it or not, I try to sneak pipe organ in many songs that I write and produce. So it's...
1: Well, I mean, I had the special shoes, you know, where you play the pedals and the whole thing. But
0: I did not know there was special shoes.
1: Oh yeah, they have like a suede bottom so you can feel the feel the pedal. Like you can't walk around on them like pipe organ people will change their shoes when they sit down behind the pipe organ.
0: I am learning so many new things right now. This is awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah. It wasn't it wasn't necessarily the choice for me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so So you mentioned MTSU for music business. That was kind of how you got to Nashville. What what happened after that, after, after going through the college program?
1: When I went to MTSU, um, I really, I really did. It was a great education. Um, and honestly I was, it was really interesting to me just learning about all the facets of the music industry and my first, um, my I, I got an internship at Warner Chapel, which is a major publisher, um, and I loved it, you know, and I loved the being around the creative process, and I loved the casualness of everything, and I loved the sense of community in Nashville and the Nashville music industry, and I really loved more than anything was um, the artists that were signed there. We had incredible—I remember Jason Aldean was signed. I was the intern and he got signed. We kind of came up together and some of the other great artists. And I loved watching, watching those careers develop. And that's where I, I really found like the artist um, relations. That was, that was where I worked really well. And so um, I, I worked at Warner chapel and worked my way up and got promoted and promoted and had some great bosses there. And then I went to BMG and the same thing, you know, and BMG, even though it was a major publisher it was run much more like an independent. So I, I got to get two really different perspectives. And then a colleague of mine and I, um, Mike Molinar, uh, who, he and I started our, who, we actually went to college together. He was not a pipe organ major, um, but we- uh,
0: <laughs> Little known fact.
1: Little known fact, decided to start our own company and we found someone to invest in us who believed in us and are developing new talent. And we built that company and- sold that back to the investor and did it started the 2.0 of that and um when we started the 2.0 I, I said hey I'd I'd really like to focus on more artists and artist management and that kind of thing and then that company became big machine music which is the publishing company sort of artist development side of of big machine and um and then uh then I got into artist management full time one of the clients we had had a record deal on Republic and, and had a hit on the radio. And, and then the management thing was just what was, what was meant to happen for me. That was really where I finally felt like, okay, this is, this is the right thing for me. I did publishing for 10 years. And when I got into management, I realized I was much better equipped for that than even for publishing. So.
0: So. You, you 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 started this company with Mike Molinar. was it a was it a label? was it a management company? was it a, an artist development house?
1: It was well when we first started it was publishing because okay. that was what we both had our our experience in and very and we started a very traditional publishing, you know publishing deals and the whole thing. and the pipeline is just so long in publishing it's really hard to sustain a small business um and so when we started the 2.0 version we decided to to do more artist management producer management songwriter management and and artist development which those were things that i was actually even more passionate about than just traditional publishing and i think that was when we found ourselves starting to have success, you know, when we weren't just staying in one little lane, when we were sort of diversifying what we did. Mike is an incredible publisher and much better publisher than I am. And he, that was his, definitely his skill set. still is he's killing it over there. at Big machine. He's so, still there.
0: So you, you mentioned two point your, your 2.0 of your company kind of became the development side of big machine. Was yeah. that, did you sell to them as well?
1: Um, Yeah. So what we did is we had our company going and one of the artists that we had signed got a record deal over there on Republic and Scott just, Scott came to came to us and just said, Hey, uh, you know, I don't have anybody doing publishing and artist development. Like you guys are doing like, let me, like, let me fold you guys in, like come be part of big machine. And, um, and I was really enjoying the management side of things, but um, Scott gave me the opportunity to stay there for a year, even though I wanted to do management, but, and kind of consult the company in. And, um, and that was great because I got to see how big machine worked and it's, it's an incredible company. Like it was a really wonderful, wonderful time. And I'm glad that I had that experience with them, but, you know, I already knew I wanted to do management full time. And so, so then I left and I went to a company called, um, sandbox, which is a management company in town. And, I had a really good experience there of learning, um, you know, just sort of learning their approach, which was very marketing publicity driven, which was really um interesting and educational. And I uh, and I liked that. And then um and then in 2015 I decided just to go on my own and uh I started working with Kane in probably September of August, September of twenty fifteen. And man, we've just been like just working at a hundred miles an hour since then.
0: That's, that is awesome. Um, and I do want to really dive into, to that part. Cause that's, you know, like you said, been a, been the thing for the last five years. Yeah, um, you, you mentioned really quickly too, cause I, I, I'd, I'd love to just hear your experience a little bit as a, I mean, you're, you're, you're kind of a, uh, I call, I call it musicpreneur. You're, you you've done a lot of things, yeah. worn a lot of hats. Yeah. T- taking yeah. a lot of risk which is really really awesome. I think that's great people starting companies and finding talent, signing talent. The yeah. if you can back up to the to the 1.0 version, your your first company that you started with Mike, you mentioned it was really hard, hard to sustain. Yeah. Can you speak yeah. to that a little bit?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was we well, firstly we started it in 2008. Is that right? 10 years over 12 years ago. Is that right? Yeah. Um, and that was right when the bottom dropped out of the music industry. So our timing wasn't the best. <laughs> but then also, um, you know, we started from song one and and didn't have any sort of catalog. And so every day it was like we're just sitting there like hoping and praying, like, okay, I hope our songwriters write a good song today and that we can get a cut today. And and the amount of money that just went out, that you know, you, just the cost of doing business, and then the amount of time it takes to get paid. I mean, we got some really big cuts and we had some hits on the radio and the whole thing that you aspire when you start a publishing company. But it just takes, I mean, it takes a year, 18 months to get any money in the door at all from your hard work. And, and that just um, becomes really challenging and stressful to try to run a business.
0: So would you say... How would you have done it differently in hindsight?
1: I would have done what we did in the 2.0 from the beginning, honestly of saying, okay, we're not just going. Cause we thought, okay, let's just stay focused, head down. Let's focus on this publishing thing. as hard as we can. In retrospect, the best move we made was saying, Hey, let's let's, if we can't sign these songwriters, let's manage these songwriters. You know, there's a place for that. Let's, let's manage this young up and coming producer and help him get some projects. Let's, Let's manage this artist whose career we're so invested in anyways. Um, And we didn't do that at first. And I think doing that the second time around, and we did it almost as a product of necessity, you know, of sitting here, sitting there going, okay, we can't do it the way we did it last time. In a way, we were fortunate because we had success pretty quick, which a lot of publishing companies don't. Um, So how do we do this smarter a little bit more diverse in the portfolio next time and and that's what we did and and I think that that's why ultimately we had success and what ultimately got us in the relationship with with Scott and you know and and Mike still does that I mean you even even within once doing the the deal with Porsche I mean the talent he signed he signed Brett Young and Luke Combs and you know some incredible songwriters and and um so yeah that's that was definitely being a little bit willing to be diverse and not just stay in one small lane, I think is critical right now, especially when you're a small company.
0: Yeah. So so 2.0 is kind of is management plus publishing. And that's right. for a lot of people out there who, who maybe don't realize, like uh, like Martha said, you know, it can take 12 to 18 months after you get the song cut. I mean, that's not even counting how long does it take before you get your first cuts in the first place? Right,
1: right, right. And we got lucky. You know, we had like that beginner's luck where we got cuts. I mean, within, you know, God, within like the first couple months of our company starting, we got some big cuts. And so even that you would think you'd be like, all right, okay, we're good. But man, it was, it was a little stressful there.
0: Yeah. So with obviously having management, that's, you know, for people out there listening, that's usually a commission-based situation and so you're able to uh make money and create cash flow as you as you go with the right. management side of things so so I think that's that's really smart it's good really good advice yeah, um, yeah along those lines, what advice would you give to those wanting to maybe start their own business in the music industry
1: um well, I think a big part of it is uh you know being open-minded, being open-minded when you go into your business, like whatever you want your business to be, like say, I say I'm going to start a record company or I'm going to start this or I'm going to start that. That's, that's great. But I think you have to go into it being open-minded, being having a certain amount of agility, you know, and a willingness to adapt and change with the times, you know, I mean, first you think about it. Okay. We managed, you know, I managed Kane Brown and the, and the client we signed after Kane was a, a photographer and a filmmaker. And I wouldn't have expected to be managing a photographer and a filmmaker, but that was just the right thing to do. And so I think it's allowing, allowing your, um, you know, allowing yourself to be diverse, maybe more so even than you think good, getting out of your comfort zone a little bit and not being afraid to, to try things.
0: That's awesome. Um, so yeah, obviously it sounds like you have found your sweet spot or your, your, what would you say is the, the Martha Earl secret sauce that makes you better as a manager than as a publisher?
1: Um, well, well, I'm, I'm results oriented by nature. And so, um, I like to, I like to do something. I like to accomplish it. I like to move on and I don't, I'm pretty pragmatic and uh, you know, the thing about publishing is it's a lot of like conversations and feelings and discussions with your songwriters and all of that. And whereas, and Mike was is great at that. Whereas for me, it's like, I'm very action oriented, task oriented. Let's go, let's accomplish this. Let's move on. And also I'm an opportunist. And I like to take whatever the smallest, possibility for opportunity is and I like to expound upon that and I think frequently in music publishing so much is out of your control because you're hoping a song gets recorded or a label releases it as a single or is willing to put out a marketing plan behind it or whatever it may be and I would much rather have be able to do the work myself and have some semblance of control over what's going on
0: yeah well that that's a great uh, that's a really great explanation so how did you connect with Kane Brown? Where was he at at, at his point in his career and, and and how did how did that all come together?
1: Yeah, when I met Kane, it was a really interesting situation too. I was um consulting for a company. So when I left Sandbox, um I I really wanted to do kind of what I was just saying earlier about starting a business, I really said going into it on my own, I said I want to try a lot of things and I want to say yes to opportunities that i wouldn't normally say yes to because i just wanted to i just wanted to really take some time to expand my experience and my um just uh, sort of how do i say it Uh, just just my view of the music industry and 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 what is out there what can i try so anyways a guy named Jay frank approached me um and asked if i would be willing to be consultant for his company he Jay was a digital marketer at the time. This is 2015. So this is five years ago. Um, and he was like marketing, like thing, like running, like, you know, super common stuff, Facebook campaigns or email blasts or whatever, but he at the time, but he was, but he was also so smart and he was the first one to really recognize that, um, Marketing to playlists and the streaming services was critical, and he was truly the first person I ever met or had a dialogue with. And he, um, this is pre Apple Music, this is pre Amazon, this is Spotify and Title, and there was um, a record. So he did, so he did some independent. You know, he did a lot independent. He'd hi- the labels would hire him to run a campaign on Facebook or to run a you know marketing campaign, and then. Um, he was hired to do, to work a major laser record called Lean On, which was a huge hit in 2015. And he marketed it to this playlist on Spotify, and it was the most dream song ever. And so he, Lucian Grange, who runs Universal, called and called him and just said, I don't know what you're, you're doing, but you're not going to do it for anybody but us, and bought his company, running tandem with that. He also had a creative streak, and he had this independent record label with this um, non-country, even though we're national, non-country music. And he called me and asked me if I would help with the indie label. He needed like someone just to come in and oversee everything, you know, music video shoots. All, like anything that gets done at, at a label, he needed me to come in and oversee it. And I was like, sure. Yeah, I've never done anything like that. Absolutely. I, I'm your person. And so, so I jumped into it with him and it, it, there was so much that I learned, like how to press vinyl. It takes a really long time. I didn't know that. Always get the test pressing. How to make a music video for $7,000, you know, just all of those types types of things. You know, what is TuneCore? All of those things that you just don't know about unless you do them. And, um, and throughout all of that, he also said to me, Oh, Hey, you know, somebody on my staff came across this kid online, who's putting his own videos up and he's country. So we didn't sign him to the record label, but, um, we signed him to a management contract. So if you can help out with that, that'd be great too. And I was like, okay, yeah, next time he's in town, let me know he was living in Chattanooga. And that was Kane. And so Kane came to Nashville and we had a meeting and, Instantly, I was like, okay, Jay, all this other nonsense you're working on Don't worry about that. We need to worry about kane this that yeah, I just got it from the moment We just connected we just I just got it. And so, um, probably september of 15 kane was kane asked if I would be his person within the company, you know, because I was just helping out here and there and um And I did and then he hit a tipping point of critical mass at social media probably late October of 15. And it was just off to the races after that.
0: That's awesome. So you, what was it about, like, where, where was Kane in his career when you guys found him? And you mentioned it was around, uh, 2015.
1: Yeah. When Jay first signed him, uh, he was just putting up Facebook videos and just getting a lot of views. You know, Kane, uh, did it completely himself. He just has a really great, um, intuitive knowledge of how to speak to people on social media. And, um, and so they made an independent EP and that was right when I came on, we put that EP out and, um, and it did well. I mean, at the time iTunes was mattered and the iTunes chart mattered. And so it went, you know, number one on, or it went to number 11 on the iTunes chart at the time. And then, as he gained more popularity, it shot back up to number one. Um, but he was very early on in his career, living in Chattanooga, living, you know, making videos in his grandmother's like laundry room, living with his grandmother, and um, and it was really, really early, early stages. And so, when I started working with him, he did have this like intense following with the fans he had made online. But what I felt like was really important was for Kane just to to A, get to know the Nashville community because that's so critical, and B, to write, to write songs and make great music. Because what happens sometimes, and it's really happening a lot now, is people gain really quick success maybe on a TikTok video or something that they have that, that goes viral, and they get thrown into a huge record deal, and then they have nothing to follow up that one track that they had. And it goes away as quickly as it comes. And so, Kane really jumped into Nashville and started writing songs, writing some really great music. And um, and I think that that was that that's what kind of set him apart. And so, um, yeah, he signed a publishing deal before he signed a record deal and jumped into the Nashville music scene. And and then when we brought Dan Huff on as his producer, I think that was also like a critical
0: turning point for him. So good. So. I'm sure a lot. The the question I'm going to ask there there could be a lot of ways to answer this because the journey to success in music, as as you know, it ha- takes many paths and many forms. Yes. But if you could identify some key levers that around that the the around the October 2015 time when he was first blowing up and things were taking off, were there were there two or three? Uh, key levers that you can kind of identify that you guys as managers pulled were that maybe the relationships that you put him in touch with were there marketing campaigns that you did? was there a tour that you did? Yeah or?
1: yeah, I think that's a good question. I mean we the the first thing we did was we were so he started you know breaking on social media and uh, and the way he did it was he did a mix of covers and originals. Um, and he, uh, he, you know, here's the thing about Kane. Like, the thing that that has been a challenge for him periodically is his biggest asset is that he's, you know, unique. He's um, biracial. He's, you know, has tattoos. He's very like modern looking versus doesn't have like a cowboy hat and a belt buckle, you know. And so there's a lot of curiosity about him. And also, he was and still is incredibly honest with his fans. Online on social media, like who he is is who he is, and so he, I think that kind of confident vulnerability was really refreshing to a lot of people. So as soon as that ball started rolling, we we released music, um, and and that helped. And then we had a lot of offers for record deals, and um, and we ended up Kane ended up at Sony and that's also been a great thing. And and with Sony from the day that he signed, like I always have a, I have very constant conversations and direct relationships with everybody that works over there. Um, You know, I've never been somebody that only wants to talk to the person in charge. You know, I want to talk to every single person. And so we really worked hard to try to get the building to be excited about the music that we were making. Cause I think that's important. You know, there's 45 people, 70 people sometimes that work at a record label and, and they have, you know, what 50 artists that they can choose to work on on any given day. And, and I really appreciate the work that everybody does for us. So that's why I was like, you know, we need to, um, we need to engage everybody on a personal basis. And I still do that. Um, but then also to, you know, on the touring side of things, Kane had never really toured. That was one piece of it. That was, that was missing. And so we said, okay, well, let's go, let's go woodshed some shows. You know, we had a band, that he had put together from Chattanooga. And we said, all right, let's go woodshed some shows. And so we booked a show in Darlington, South Carolina at this just like place, <laughs> it's like redneck place. And uh, and the guy puts it on sale and it was like a 750 cap club and it sold out in like three hours because everybody was so like, oh my God, Kane Brown's doing a, a concert. Like this guy I've seen online, like, holy crap, he's gonna do a concert, I gotta get tickets. And so the guy was an opportunist and he was like, uh, yeah, I'm going to put a second show on sale. You know, at the time we didn't really have a booking agent. And and so he uh, put a second show on sale and it sold out just as fast. And so um, we never really had that opportunity to go and kind of like uh, hide, you know, and get better lives. So that's the other thing about Kane is he had to learn on the spot, but he's incredibly coachable and really fast. He's a really fast learner. Um, and man, he figured it out quick. Um, and yeah, we started out just playing all the club. I mean, we did, we played clubs God from that November, 2015. I mean, we just, we were constantly on the road for two years, just playing every club from here to wherever Phoenix, Arizona.
0: That's awesome. So where there certain, you know, people that you worked with as far as, you know, stage performance, or was it kind of just getting up and you guys were just telling him, Hey, you should try this and try this, try this.
1: The best thing that we did was, um, Kane was in Florida, Georgia line asked Kane to come out on tour with them. And he had a 12 minute set that like, it was crazy. It was like a 12 minute set, first of four, like at the very end of the thrust, like no space. Um, but what Kane would do is every single night, he would watch fgl like he would stand side stage and then even as he's grown into like now he's a headlining arena act but every single when he was out with jason aldean every night he'd watch jason when he was out with brad every night he'd watch brad chris young same thing he studies other artists he would watch videos online he would watch whoever some of the greatest you know performers in the format kenny chesney you know selling out you know, football stadiums, he would watch them and study them online and learn about what they did and what worked and what didn't work. And so he really worked to, to he's just studied the guys that he admired, honestly.
0: That's so good. So just being, being teachable and, and learning. Um, Can you talk a little bit about for, for you as a manager, you obviously came from sandbox and um, you know, that's a a well-known management firm. What is it like for you to be able to focus on really this one big artist rather than having a massive roster? Are there, you know, advantages, disadvantages?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, it's definitely, it's there's so many advantages because we can be hyper-focused. And, and, you know, with Kane, everything's moving so, has always moved so fast. I mean, right now in this, time frame when things should be at a dead stop, they're still moving fast. Um, So nothing gets missed. Right. And I, and I have been able to be like hyper vigilant about everything and I'm meticulous with stuff to the point that like, it's probably annoying, but I'm, I'm meticulous with everything that we do. And I'm able to look at all of our decisions and say, okay, does this super serve the Kane Brown brand? Right. Like this may be a great opportunity um, like we had a TV Think pitch shows this week and I was like, man, this is a great opportunity, but does this super serve the Kane Brown brand? And if it doesn't, then you can step back and you can say, No, you know? Um, so we've been able to be hyper focused with things. Um, and and I love that, you know, and I love, you know, and we've we've also kind of been in it together, Kane and I from the start. And so that's that's great as well. And 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 that's also why we uh that's also why our business. As I grow my business, I want to grow with him, you know, and why we're growing our business together and the talent, the new talent that we're signing, he and I are signing it together. You know, we started a JV label with Sony. We signed a band. Kane and I signed a band together. Like I, I like being able to have my success with him because he's a big reason. He's the, you know, he, why, why wouldn't I want to share my continued success with the person that kind of, we started all of this with.
0: I love that. So what are your thoughts on artists and musicians nowadays going the label route versus the indie route?
1: You know, uh, it's an interesting time, right? And I think here's, here's the thing is that I think where labels are great is they help you expound upon the success and the opportunities that you've already made where uh, there, you can't depend on a label to, take you from nothing to something, right? You have to do that yourself as an artist. You're the only one that is capable of doing that. And so I think that as a new artist, you can't expect a label to create the opportunities for you. You have to create them yourself, but where a label can really help. If you maximize their services, they can really help you get to the next level. Like if you think about it, there's no artist that I can name, and maybe there's somebody that I'm not thinking of. There's no artist that I can name who's headlining stadiums who does not have a record deal, because there's just there are certain places that that those large companies can reach. So if you look at them as a partner and as um and as as a and you figure out how to maximize um, maybe what they have and what they have to offer, um, that's what the benefit is. If you just sign a label deal and don't ever engage, then there's no point just don't sign the deal stay in it you'll make more money
0: yeah well, you hit on it really well is kind of being one of the big key levers that you guys were able to pull is really just engaging and getting Sony excited um, can you speak to that a little bit? I think a lot of people this is a this is a part that so many um I don't know in my this is my opinion, but I think this is where managers the good managers really shine is being able to uh, you know, be obviously be the bad guy when needed from time to time with the label, but, but really just relationally engage people and and get them excited to work on your artist. So
1: what are some ways you've,
0: you've been able to go about doing that?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a really great point because, you know, some of the things that we do is, uh, you know, we, I constantly, we constantly are engaged, um, Whether it's, I mean, not in person now as much, but but on the phone, calling, checking in, talking to different departments, um, acknowledging people when they do something great. You know, um, for example, on Kane, he recently had a world premiere at radio, which is something that we've never, terrestrial radio, which we've never had. So it's like, okay, let's give all the shout outs to the promo staff. Every week we send an update to everyone with, this is you know, here's the link to the Jimmy Fallon performance. This is what's going on with the radio. This is what's going on. And constantly keep the artist top of mind. And I think that that's really important. I think the days of artists go, you know, artists, the, the cycle of, oh, now I'm in the album cycle. Now I'm in the touring cycle. Now I'm, I'm going to take a break and then I'm going to do it all again. I think those days are gone. You have to, you're always, we're always releasing and making music, always trying to tour always doing media. There's never any downtime. And I think that that's a big part of it as well. It's hyper engagement.
0: I love that. So, you know, that it's a lot. It's, it's, it's absolutely a lot to, to, to deal with. So how do you, how do you handle it? How does, how does Kane handle it? Obviously, you know, you, you need to sleep. That's, that's a reality. Um, is there a, like, you know, a social media team in place that helps with content? I mean, how do you, how do you think about having to feed the constant content machine?
1: Yeah, it's hard. We have, I mean, we, we have, we have a great team. We have a creative director who's incredibly talented. And so all everything you see, and we actually start a production company as well. Um, so the music videos or the TV performances or everything you see from a creative side comes from us. So um, and that does create extra work, but it also means that that we can't we we control how everything looks, so everything looks and feels consistent. Because there's nothing worse than an artist putting something out and then they put something else out and it's totally contrary to their imaging. And you think, how did that happen? And it's probably because somebody was working on it that didn't really know the project intimately, you know. Um, so we have a, I mean, I've, there's a great team that works on Kane's project and we have, um, we have a creative director. We have, um, a publicist who's incredible. We have you know, yeah, social media, we do it in tandem with Kane, you know, his Instagram and his TikTok, he do, he does completely, um, his Facebook and his Twitter, he lets us help with that sometimes, you know, but he runs all of his own socials. Um, but we're constantly feeding him content and we, we plan ahead, you know, we're always thinking ahead where it's like, I'll sit there and just study the calendar and think, okay, whatever, the month of July, I'm going to release this track on this day and this track on this day. Okay, what can we do in the interim to kind of keep people excited? And it's constantly planning and and moving things along.
0: Yeah, I love that. And and this kind of segues really well into my next question, which is what are some challenges about, you know, managing a modern country artist that may have not existed a few years ago?
1: Yeah, I mean, you have to constantly be on. You have to constantly be because the public – um, unfortunately the, just the people's attention span is so like, there's so much coming at them. They just move around, move around, move around. Um, that they forget. I don't think it's that they forget. I think it's just something else comes along and they give that their attention. And, um, you know, I, I mean, I think about some artists who were huge five years ago, the biggest artists in the format, some of the biggest artists in the world, and then they kind of took time off and decided to take some time to go write their next album or whatever. And they come back and it's almost like you're having to do a whole new relaunch of the act, you know. And so I think if you can constantly have content, that, but not, not just for the sake of content, but content that is true to the artist and, and connects with the fans, um, you will stay a step ahead. But it is exhausting you know it's really tiring um it's really tiring and also too i think that everybody's trying to crack the code on some of these various social media platforms like everybody's trying to crack tiktok what's the what's the secret sauce what is it is it you know having a 17 year old girl do some dance of your song you know or whatever it is like everybody's trying to to figure it out and and i think that you can't figure it out i think you just have to do what feels right for you and the artist
0: Gotcha. So when, and you may not even be at this place right now, I know you mentioned, you mentioned you're managing uh, Kane. you've got the production company, you've got, um, this Beautiful. photographer, the label, the restless, you know, restless road on the label. Yeah. What are, what are some characteristics that you would look for in artists that you might want to manage?
1: Um, I mean, some the, Uh, Honestly the head of sony says that the best i'm going to steal his line. It's unique and compelling Which that sounds like so obvious to say but it's it's true Like you don't want the next nobody wants the next sam hunt We have sam hunt and he was really unique and really compelling when he came out And so it's something that to me I like things that where I can see the lane right where I can see that there's a need or there's um, there's a void in the marketplace for something, and that's that's what I like to go after. You know, I don't I don't want to chase anybody. I don't want to look at the chart and think like, oh, guys with mullets is working. I need a mullet guy. <laughs> you know, I don't want to be that. Like that. That's uh, damn. I wish I'd have thought to be have mullet guy for the first one. But, but I don't need to follow what anybody else is doing because I won't do it as well as those people that. That did it first, you know? Um, so I think it has to be something unique and compelling and something that where there's a, where there's a void in the marketplace. And, and also I think I like to look at who, who are the people that aren't necessarily being represented or spoken to? You know, I think that's what, when Taylor Swift came out, you know, it's weird. My daughters, as we have seen them come in and out (laughs) six or six and eight, and they've just, uh, discovered Taylor Swift. Um, which is like the perfect age to discover Taylor Swift and they don't care. They have no bias between the lover album or, you know, uh, Tim McGraw and, and that very first record they, they don't have they love it all. They think it's all just the best music in the whole wide world. Cause she speaks to them and there's not really many artists that maybe speak to to girls her age right now, or something. Um, and I think that that's the thing. It's like, who's not being spoken to? You know, who's not being represented? Who's you know, when when the Latin, when like we had the, when Latin music really exploded, what two three years ago with the Despacito record, it was a long time coming because you have a ton of people that are totally not represented in music right now, you know. So, whether it's young girls or um or whatever Latin or with Kane, you know, Kane is this like very modern. Um, you know, biracial, very honest person, um, you know, whatever it may be. I'm really interested in those things, too, because I like like that's where you have some cultural shifts happen, too. You know, even with Kane from a cultural perspective, what he did for the country format is actually really significant, you know, in terms of race and mm-hmm. view of what a country act can and should look like. I mean that's pretty heavy stuff. And, um, and he's done it really gracefully. And I, and I appreciate that about him. So yeah, that's kind of the stuff that intrigues me, honestly.
0: I love that. That's so well said to be unique and compelling, to fill a void in the marketplace and to be able to find who are the people that aren't being represented or spoken to. I, I think that's an amazing explanation. I don't feel like I've heard it said that before. Thanks. So I love that. Yeah. Well, as we are wrapping up i do want to dive in a little bit on kane brown's latest collab with marshmallow we're going to do that in our deep dive after the episode if people are interested in checking that out they can go to madeitinmusic.com and go to the deep dives i'm personally really interested in that but before we do that are you ready for the lightning round to close us out
1: i am i'm gonna take a drink of water because i feel like here we go
0: gotta brace yourself (laughs) ready i love it who's an artist that you've been listening to recently
1: taylor swift the deep cuts
0: <laughs> like the pop or the country stuff
1: all of it every right. bit of it No, uh yeah you know it is fun to go back and listen to i mean obviously taylor swift's been part of you know for it's over 10 years and man like her songwriting is so incredible like it's it's actually it's actually really 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 great love it. to rediscover it through my kids eyes
0: yeah same. My, I have a two-year-old and a five-year-old daughter, so we're right, right behind you.
1: Yep. Yep. Yep.
0: What's your What is your favorite movie?
1: Well, today it's going to be the Scoob, or tomorrow the Scoob movie because we have the end title in the new Scooby Doo movie.
0: <laughs> is that a Kane Brown song?
1: It is a Kane Brown, Thomas Rhett, uh, Ava Max collaboration.
0: Nice. Um,
1: yeah, it's it's really great. Um, God, I don't know, you know, I love, um, I mean, I'm more of like a TV sort of series watcher. I'm really into that. The Michael, um, the Michael Jordan documentary right now on ESPN is incredible. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, uh, I haven't been to the movies in a long time. I need to get back out there.
0: Yeah. Series might be a more modern. I'm not, uh, I'm not
1: doing great on the rapid answer. My answer is too long. Keep going.
0: (laughs) All right. Would you rather live full-time in an RV or full-time on a sailboat and why? RV.
1: Definitely. Definitely. Because um, you can get off and you can go for a run. (laughs) Whereas a sailboat just feels like it feels like kind of trapped out there in the water.
0: Yeah. You can go for a swim, but that only lasts for so long.
1: No thing. And I'm not a great swimmer. Funny fact about me. I don't like getting my face wet. I mean, I wash my face every night. I just don't like it being submerged in water. I'm not into that.
0: Okay. Well, the oceans, pro- you you probably answered correctly though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, what is your most used app on your phone?
1: Um, I mean, beyond the basics, like, you know, your texting app or your phone or whatever. Um, I would say, well, let's just, let's just look and see. Uh, let's look and see what it is when I swipe left. Um, I use zoom now a lot, but the activity tracker, like with my Apple watch, like I love the challenges that they give you. And it's like, all right, this month you have to run 50,000 miles. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it. So yeah.
0: 50,000 miles. That's, that's impressive.
1: Well, that (laughs) might've been exaggerating.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Last one. You have your own late night talk show. Who do you invite as your first guest?
1: I mean, I would invite Jimmy Fallon because he could tell tell me how to do it because he's the greatest. He's the funniest.
0: That's awesome. And and one last one that I'm kind of adding last minute. Have you done the Enneagram test?
1: Yes. Oh my god, I'm so passionate about it.
0: And what's your what what number are you? I'm an eight. Okay, I love it.
1: I am. Are you an Enneagram person?
0: I, I am probably. I've studied it. I've read. I've read a, a couple books on it. I, I'm probably not as fanatical as some. But me and my wife did it. We loved it. And what are you? I am, and I would love your explanation of this, but I literally, my top two scores, and this, every time I do the tests, all the books I've read, I'm a dead tie between a three and a six.
1: Interesting.
0: So I know they're linked. Like if you look at the triangle shape, yeah. they're they're, they're yeah. linked. But uh, what is it? Six, six defaults to three in times of stress and something vice versa. But I, I, I don't know. There's days I, I really identify with the three. Cause I, I've, I'm a, I'm a really driven person. I always love learning. Um, yeah. that's kind of my mantra is like, you know, if I'm not learning something every day, yeah. but then also like, I really value security too, which is, you know, the six.
1: Hmm. That's so. it. My, my husband is a six. And I, my, uh, a number of people I work with are threes, you know, the music industry attracts threes because it's very achievement oriented perceptive, you know, what is people's perception of you, you know, that whole thing. So, uh, yeah, they're, they're definitely like, that's really interesting.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I will say some of my favorites. And this is—I don't think I've shared this on our podcast before—but I've just kind of looked at like who are the people that I've worked well with over the over the course of my career, whether co-writers or co-producers or artists. The ones that I've done really well with have been um, eights and eights and threes work
1: really well together.
0: Yeah, so I've done a lot with eights. Um, have written a lot with you know a handful of even just uh, some some really really talented. Uh, co-writers who are eights and it just seems to work really well for me so I, I don't know why but
1: yeah eights and threes work really well because they're um it's mission-minded right like that's like even my friendships are like i like i'm friends with people who were we're accomplishing a goal that's larger than ourselves those are the people that i'm attracted to that i want to be around that energize me and threes i think are a little bit the same way where it's you know you collaborate is, to accomplish something better
0: is kane a three
1: you know, I don't know what Kane is. He, uh, I mean, you're not supposed to type people, you know? I don't know. Yeah. I've asked well,
0: I just didn't know if you guys have, like, done the test together or not. He
1: uh, hasn't done it. Um, but our whole staff has done it, you know, which has been really great because it's really insightful when you're talking to people because you can understand what where they're coming from so much better, you know? Whereas before, like, even think about my husband, who's a six, who, you know, they have, there's a stereotype that they're warriors or whatever. And I would be like, Oh, why is he always Debbie Downer? Always worried about this or <laughs> N- Nancy negative or, Oh my gosh. But then now I can go like, okay, this is just his perspective where he's coming from. He's not, you know, it's not a weakness necessarily. It's just his perspective of where he's coming from, how he sees the world.
0: Well, and they're great people to have. Sixes are great to have in in your company because they're looking out for the, they're loyal. they're loyal and they're looking out for the emergency exits. So it's uh, you know, the you know.
1: pandemic. They're like, I told you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I predicted ten of the last one pandemics. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. That's awesome. Um, hey, this has been an absolute blast. Uh, I could talk about Enneagram much longer, but I know you. You have lots of things to do. So, uh, Martha Earls, people can connect with you on social media. We'll make sure we uh, post all that in the description. Links to your company and. Yeah, it's been awesome having you on. Thanks so much for taking the time.
1: Thanks for having me.